Who in here remembers cassette tapes? Who remembers eight-track tapes? Who remembers the, the 45s? Ooh, wow. Who in here has never seen a cassette tape? Anybody over here? Yeah. That's what I figured. Good morning, everybody. As Pastor Trevor already said, my name is uh, Mark Walker. I'm the senior pastor here at Mount Perrin, uh, Marietta, and Canton, and it's great to be with you this morning. Um, as we continue in this series called Mixtape, Looking at the Psalms. If you happen to have a Bible or a Bible app, I invite you to turn to Psalm chapter 42. Psalm 42, we'll be looking at that psalm here this morning together. Let's open up with prayer as we turn to God's Word. Father, we do thank you for all your presence with us right now. I thank you for the, the beautiful worship time. I thank you for this worship team led by Pastor Sean that, that just has led us into your presence and has really brought to us once again the wonderful reality of your love for us. I pray that the same Holy Spirit that's been ministering to us in this the worship moment time would continue to do so now as we look to your word. May the truth of what your word tells us, may it truly transform us. Father, I pray for the person in this room who knows you the least here today, all the way to the person who knows you the most. May we all encounter you in a very real life-changing way. For your praise and glory now, in Jesus' name, amen. My internet service and home phone service is with Comcast. And I came home three or four weeks ago, and my internet service and my phone service was out. Now, before I continue in this story, if you happen to work for Comcast or you know somebody that works for Comcast, I'm sure it's a great place to work. I'm sure it's wonderful people, and I'm sure you do a good job, and I don't want to disrespect you in any way with this story. However, I call Comcast because my service is out, and I talk to the person, and they say, Mr. Walker, let us do some diagnostics and some tests on our end, yada, 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 yada. And then they come back on the phone, and they say, uh, Mr. Walker, we're sorry, but you're going to have to go by one of our nearby service centers and get a new modem because we have discontinued the modem that you have. And I said, I don't think that's going to really work out. One, you installed this modem when I opened up this account, and you arbitrarily now have chosen to discontinue it with no advance no, uh, notice to me, and now you're going to make me go get a new modem? I don't think that's going to happen. They said, Mr. Walker, that's fine. We will send you a new modem. I said, great idea. I said, how long will that take? Three days. I said, so let me get this straight. I'm going to be paying for a service for three days that I'm not going to get because of a modem you chose to discontinue to serve, I don't like that idea. They said, we will credit your account. I said, good idea. Send the new modem. I waited three days. The modem comes. I hook it up. Nothing. Call them back. Oh, Mr. Walker, let us run some tests, some diagnostics, yada, 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 yada. Oh, Mr. Walker, you're going to have to go buy one of our nearby service centers and get a new modem because the modem that we sent to you has been deactivated. I said, no, 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 no. That's not going to work. First of all, you, continue, you discontinued serving a modem you installed for me, and now you sent me a new modem that's deactivated? Why would you send me a deactivated modem? I'm not going to get a new modem. They said, that's fine. We will send a service tech to you. Great idea. When will he be here? Two days. Five days I'm without service. The tech shows up, goes down to the modem. He doesn't even look at the connection. He just sees what lights are on or not on. He says, I need to look at your outside line. He goes outside, comes back in and says, Mr. Walker, your line has been cut. That has been your problem the whole time. Five days, 
talking to three different Comcast people. They couldn't even diagnose the right problem, and it hadn't have anything to do with motives. It had to do with an outside line. Do I sound like I'm over this yet? <laughs> Isn't it amazing that most of the products we buy don't really work the way that they're supposed to? Do I have an amen in the house to that? Yeah, I mean, they spend all these billions of dollars on advertising and then you get the product and it really doesn't work to expectation. I mean, the iPhone 6, when it came out, what, three or four months ago? And when it came out, it had some glitches and they put out a press release. And this is what the press release said about these particular glitches. It said this. It says, Apple's newest iPhones ran into some glitches after users complained uh, that a new software update blocked their calls. Some tech blogs reported that the update only seemed to cause problems for the latest phones. The new iPhone 6 and 6 Plus. Now this is what got me about this. It's not uncommon for new software to contain bugs that have to be fixed with subsequent releases. Do you know what they just said? They said it's common for you to buy the product and it not work right. That's what they just said. It's not uncommon to have bugs. They're expecting us to buy this. That it's a normal thing to buy a product and it not work. And you know what? We are buying this. We've been so shafted. We've been so jaded. We've been so deceived. Yeah, we kind of accept it. If it just works halfway right, okay, that's good enough. And we learned this at a very early age. My son, Justin, who's now 27 years old, when he was about five or six, he and I were watching television, and a toy commercial came on of this, I think it was an army set or something that had these rocket launchers that shot the rockets and these tanks that moved and shot the bombs. It had this big fort. I thought it was really kind of cool. And I said, son, would you like for daddy to buy you that toy? He said, nah, daddy. And I was kind of shocked. I said, oh, man, didn't you see it? The rocket launchers and the tanks and all of that. Wouldn't you want daddy to buy that toy? No, daddy. And I'm really getting disappointed because I want him to buy the toy because I want to play with the toy. It looked great. And I said, why don't you want daddy to buy you that toy? And this is what he said to me. broke my heart five years old, he said, the toys never work the way they say. Oh man, the kid's innocence was shattered at five. Welcome to the real world. You know, it's one thing to have to deal with the frustration and the inconvenience of products that don't work, but it's a whole nother thing when life doesn't work. And the emotions and the challenges when life isn't working right the way we thought it would. When life somehow is broken in our lives. The marriage isn't working the way we thought. The parent-child relationship isn't working the way we had hoped and thought. My job isn't working out or maybe I don't have a job and I thought I would get a job quicker and that's not working out. My finances aren't working out. My health isn't working out the way that I thought it would or a loved one's health isn't working out. I mean, what do we do when life breaks? Who's the service person that we call? Who do we turn to when the product of life isn't working the way it's supposed to be? Well, that's where we come to Psalms. And I love the Psalms. One of the reasons I love the Psalms is because the Psalms are honestly human, yet they are distinctly divine. 
If you read the Psalms, and I encourage you, just go and read the Psalms because the psalmists are very honest with God. They're very honest with their feelings. They, they express their anger and their fear and their frustration. They, they uh, express their, their bitterness and their resentment. They express their shame and their guilt. They really unload, and God lets them. They are very honestly human, and that's why I love the Psalms, but also... These psalmists who have these very honest feelings about God and about life, they also show us the glory and the greatness and the goodness and the majesty and the splendor and the might and the love and the deliverance of God. They, they kind of show us that life is messy. The psalmists really help us see life is messy and we're right there in it. But they also show us there is a living God that's in the midst of the mess that we can turn to. And that's why I love the Psalms so much. They're very real in showing us what life is about in this fallen world where there's evil and wickedness that touches us all, but there is a living God in the midst of all of that showing us the way. And Psalm 42 that we're looking at this morning does that for us. And it really shows us when life breaks, how do we put it back together? And we're not sure what the psalmist is going through in Psalm 42. We're not sure what he's dealing with, but life is broken somehow. It's not working out right. And he begins to express his feelings about this. And let's just read through some of these things, beginning in verses 1 and 2. Look at what the psalmist says. He says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? The, the psalmist is saying, I'm like a deer that's very, very thirsty. Now what's interesting, in the Hebrew, the way this is written, the implication is this deer he's using as a metaphor of himself is a deer that's being pursued by a predator. It's the idea that the deer is running for his or her life, that this predator is after him, and, and he's running for his life, and, and he's reached the point where he can't go any further, or she can't go any further, until she gets sustenance, until she gets renewed, until she gets her thirst quenched, that she is parched and empty and dry because of just the pursuit and the pressure of this predator in so many of us, where we feel our lives are in such uh, demand all the time and there's so many pressures and anxieties and stresses that we deal with in a given day and then you add bad news on top of that and we like this deer man we are just empty on the inside we are thirsty we need some type of sustenance and the psalmist lets us express this but then the psalmist goes on and in verse 3 says this my tears have been my food day and night while men say to me all day long where is your God have you ever been in a place where you've cried so much you can't cry anymore? Been in a place where you're so emotionally sensitive and raw that literally you're emotionally numb and you just don't feel anything? That's what the psalmist is saying. I can't cry anymore. I've cried so much. And he's asking himself the question, where are you, God? Everybody else around me is looking at my condition and asking, where are you? I'm beginning to wonder, where are you? And maybe you find yourself there. Maybe nobody else knows it, but on the inside, you're really going, God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know where you are. Do, do you really exist? Are you out there? You see, the psalmist lets us ask this question, but the psalmist goes on in verse four. He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitudes leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. He's talking about when he was back in Jerusalem, 
when it was one of the festivals or one of the worship days in Jerusalem, and he would be a part of the procession, a part of the crowd, headed up to the temple to worship God. He's remembering that joyous time. He's remembering that, that wonderful time of, of, of love and, 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 and praise that, that was, was, was a day gone by. He's trying to get back to yesterday. He's trying to get back to a better time. He's trying to get back to the, quote, good old days. He's trying to turn back the clock. It's like he's saying, if I can just get back to a better day in my life, if I could just turn back the clock to when it wasn't so difficult, some of us can find ourselves there. We start thinking back, can I, can I just go back? Can we just stop and rewind? Can I rewind the mixtape? Can I go back to the song I really like? But we can't. But the psalmist lets us express this to God. And then verses 9 and 10, the psalmist gets down to it. He says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? And the psalmist kind of has play on words here because he said, I say to God, my rock. A rock is something that is reliable. It's something that's stable. It's something that's always going to be there that you can build upon. But he's saying, I say to God, my rock, reliable, why do you seem so unreliable? You forgotten me? Where are you? I got people taunting me, questioning, causing me to question you because they see my condition and you don't seem to be doing anything. I want to tell you, you and I have an enemy. He's called Satan. He's called the devil in Scripture. And what Satan wants to do is he wants to get us distracted wondering whether or not there is a God or Begin to doubt that if there is a God, that He is who He claims to be. That He's going to be there for us. That He is going to do what He promises. We have an enemy that taunts us in that way. And especially when we get in places of brokenness in our lives. When we get in tough spots. Boy, that enemy likes to pounce. That predator coming after us. Man, the psalmist is in a place where he's totally empty. He's, he's wrung out emotionally. He wants to get back to a better day. He wants to go back to the past. Questioning God. Life is broken for whatever reason. But then in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all this open honesty of this psalmist, he says this in verse 5 and he says it in verse 11. Twice he says this. He says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. Can we all read that out loud together? Verse 5 and 11, can we read it out loud together, please? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. It's like the psalmist in the midst of all of the expression of his feelings and frustrations and doubts and questions... He comes down to the bottom line. This is how I'm going to put life back together. This is how I'm going to be able to sustain through this broken place of life, whatever it is. And I think he says it for you and me. Three quick things I want to share with you out of what he says in verse 11 and verse 5 here. The first thing is this, that putting life together or back together calls for an internal decision. It calls for an internal decision. What was it he said? Put your hope in God. Say that out loud with me. Put your hope in God. 
And he's saying it to his soul. He says, why are you downcast, oh, my soul? Why are you so disturbed within me? It's like he's having a heart-to-heart with himself. It's like he's having a come-to-Jesus meeting with himself. It's like he's grabbing himself by the lapels. And he says, okay, in the midst of all of this, you may be justified in your anger, soul. You, you, you may be justified in your depression. You may be justified in the way that you feel. You may have the right to your bitterness. You may have the right to your pity. You may have the right to that. You may be fully justified to feel that way. He says, but regardless of why we are where we are and what we're feeling, let me tell you what we're going to put our hope in. We're going to put our hope in God. We're not going to put our hope in what's right or wrong in terms of whether I should feel this way or not feel this way. I'm going to put it in the almighty God. This idea of hope, it doesn't mean wishful thinking. It means to wait patiently in anticipation and expectation. In other words, in the midst of whatever the brokenness is, and the emotions and the reactions that I may be having and the thoughts that might be pounding my mind, even the thoughts of doubts about God. i got to come to a decision where I'm going to say, regardless, my hope's going to rest in Him. Not in what was a better day yesterday. Not in what people have said or haven't said or done or haven't done. My hope, my expectation, my anticipation is in a God who's not going to fail me. I may not see Him working. I may not feel Him working. But I want to trust that He is working and He's going to manifest Himself in due time and He's going to show me the way. What's your hope in? What's the hope of your family? Where does that rest ultimately? Man, the psalmist really brings us to look at ourselves and say, what am I relying on the most? I mean, am I in the hope that now that the Republicans have the Senate and the House, it's all going to get better? God, I hope that's not where your hope is. 2016, maybe we can get a, you know, a Republican president. Can I say to you, Jesus Christ is neither Democrat nor Republican nor Independent. He is Jesus the government's not going to do it anyway. I'm not saying we shouldn't vote. I'm not saying we shouldn't support the government. What I am suggesting, regardless of what Wall Street does or doesn't do, regardless of the stock market, regardless of what happens on Capitol Hill, there is a God who lives. And regardless of where we find ourselves, I've got to make an ultimate decision. It's in Him and Him alone that I'm going to place my hope. In that internal decision, I'll put my hope in God, comes an external declaration. When I'm putting life back together, i got to make that decision. I'm going to put my hope in Him. And then what does the psalmist say? I will yet praise Him. Say that with me. I will yet praise Him. The internal decision, He's my hope. The external result of that as well as an external reinforcement, if you will, that He is my hope, is I will yet praise Him. The psalmist is saying, of all the things I can exalt, of all the things I can lift up, of all the things I can praise and worship, it's going to be God. Now what's interesting, this word praise, it means to give thanks, it means to exalt, it means to worship, but it also means to declare, it means to confess. 
It means to speak of. And in this idea of praise, the psalmist isn't just talking about the exaltation of God, but we're also talking about the declaration and the confession of the character of God and the nature of God and who God is and His promises and who I am in Him and who He is in me. When you and I gather in here to worship every Sunday, we are declaring through our praise who God is. We're declaring and confessing who He is over our situation, who He is over our lives, who He is to the enemy around us, who He is in our household, who He is to us, and who we are in Him. I mean, the praise we just got through singing. What were we declaring? We were declaring the amazing love of God. We were declaring how Christ went to a cross and died for us. How Christ set us free. We were declaring about the greatness of God. We were declaring, oh, how He loves me. We were making that declaration. And some of us, we walked in here today and we got people that are, that are against us. We got people that are speaking out against us. We got circumstances in our lives that make us feel unloved. We got circumstances in our lives that makes us feel like we're just being used. And then we come in here and we're able to stand and then worship and praise and declare who this God is and what He is in our lives and who we are in Him. That's why it's not... The worship time in here is not to kill 10 or 15 minutes so the guy can get up here and rant and rave for 10 or 15, 20 minutes, maybe more like 30 or 35 minutes, and get out of here and said we had church. No. The idea is that, man, I'm coming in here. I'm coming in here from a week of being out exposed to a culture that is so anti-God. I'm coming in here at a time dealing with family issues and things that are so opposite of what God is. I'm coming back in here to regroup. And like the psalmist, I'm going to say once again, I'm putting my hope in God. And I'm going to make that confession that God is my God and I belong to Him. You know, I, I have a... Um, Second cousin, he's about 25 years old now, graduated from college. He's got a very good job out in Buckhead. He's a little boy growing up. His name's Chad. He's a little boy growing up. He, he was a, a Nintendo guru. Loved Nintendo. Was very good at it. He's still a pretty big video gamer now and, and quite good. But he just lived for Nintendo. And when he was about, oh, I don't know, six or seven he has a little brother, Jordan, who's about a year or two younger. So Jordan would have been about, I don't know, five or six, somewhere in that neighborhood. They were all over at the house, their family, and they were upstairs in the playroom with my son, Justin, playing Nintendo. And Justin tells us this story that Chad was playing, and he wouldn't let Jordan play. And Jordan kept trying to take the remote from him, and Chad was too elusive. And Chad wouldn't stop playing. Every time Jordan would go after it, he would move but keep playing. He was just focused. Jordan got frustrated. And Jordan began to hit Chad and say, I want to play. It's my turn. It's my turn. And Chad would not let go of the remote. He wouldn't even defend himself. Wouldn't say a word. He just kept playing. Jordan's getting more and more frustrated. starts crying and just beating on Chad. Chad starts crying because he's hurting because his brother's beating on him. But he's not letting go of that remote. He keeps on playing. Finally, finally, Jordan, um, uh, Chad jumps up to his feet, stares down at Jordan, tears coming down his face, got the remote in his hand, and he looks at his little brother, Jordan, and he says, You don't understand. I am a Nintendo player. It's who I am. It's what I do. So leave me alone. And sat back down and kept playing. Jordan was so shocked, he left him alone. 
Now, Chad may have needed a lesson in sharing, no doubt. But you got to admire the kid's passion that he knew who he was and what he was about. And he wasn't going to let any amount of pounding change that in him. When life is pounding on us, when the circumstances are beating us up, we got to stand up and we got to declare, this is who I am and who God is in me. And I'm going to trust him and I'm going to praise him no matter what. Who are you? What's coming out of your mouth? We need to listen to our words in a given day. Some of us are praising our problems more than anything else. You know why? Because we talk about them all the time. Some of us are exalting our circumstances more than anything else. It has literally become the God of our vocabulary. I want to challenge you. Let God become the God of your vocabulary. I will yet praise Him. This internal decision put my hope in Him. This external declaration. This is who I am in Him and who He is in me. The last thing I would share that this psalmist gives to us is that we have to have this eternal dependency. He said, my Savior and my God. I will put my hope in God. That's my internal decision. I will yet praise Him, the external declaration of my life. For He is my Savior and my God. I am eternally dependent upon Him. You see that word Savior there in the Hebrew? It means to rescue eternally. It means to bring eternal deliverance. That's who God is. God isn't just about rescuing me out of the temporary things of this world. He's about eternally securing me in Him. He's about rescuing me for all eternity. And the psalmist understands as he's emptying all the frustrations, as he's emptying all the fears and the, and the anxieties, as he's emptying his own questions about God, he comes to a place to realize I can praise Him and I can put my hope in Him because all this stuff out here that's so bothering me is temporary. But who God is and what He is doing in my life is forever. And there's nothing of the temporary that can rob me of the forever that God is and can be and wants to be in my life. That's why I can praise Him. That's why I can put my hope in Him. But you understand what the psalmist did. He said, my Savior, my God. See, the psalmist was a Jew. The psalmist would have known the history of the Jews. He would have known what God was in the history of the Jews, what God was in their life. He would have known about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He would have known about God delivering them out of Egypt. He would have known about God crossing the Red Sea. He would have known about God, I mean, parting the Red Sea. To, for the, God didn't cross the Red Sea. I guess he did. Go read it for yourself. You figure it out. Anyway part of the Red Sea so the Israelites could cross. God brought down the walls of Jericho. He knew all the stories. He, this was the God of his heritage. But none of that would be activated in his life until God became his God. He, he had to become his God. I'm a fourth-generation Pentecostal preacher. I got preachers running out our ears in our family. It's really kind of sick, to be honest with you. 
I mean, I, I, we, I've, I've, you know, I cut my teeth, I say, on Pentecostal pews. I, 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 we, I know all the stories. I, I've known the Bible since I was a little bitty kid. I've heard all about God. I've heard the stories of miracles in my own family. All that. But you know what? None of that starts making a difference in my life until I, Mark Walker, had to decide the God of my heritage is going to be my God. He's not just the God of my daddy or the God of my mama or the God of my grandmama. He's Mark Walker's God. My Savior. My God. That I understand that the only way life is ever going to overcome any brokenness is I got to choose to walk with the maker of my life and the only one that can make the mess matter, make it redemptive. I mentioned that I'm a fourth generation Pentecostal preacher. My dad's dad, my grandfather Walker, he started about 60 churches for the Church of God movement. My, my mother's dad, my other grandfather, he started not as many churches, but started many churches as well. He was a minister. My, my grandfather, Walker, um, was living in Beckley, West Virginia. My, my dad would have been about 18 years old. This would have been about 1950. And my grandfather, Walker, was coming home from a late at night, coming home from a speaking engagement he was driving in the dark on the mountain roads of Beckley, West Virginia. It was raining. Very difficult to see. Rounded a corner. And as he rounded the corner, there was a train parked across the road. But the railroad warning signal was out. It was so dark and raining, he couldn't really see the, rail, uh, the, the train until he got right up on it. It was too late. Even though he hit the brakes, the wet, wet road, he slid and hit that train broadside. It broke his breastbone, it crushed his knee, literally obliterated his kneecap. He had head injuries on his left side of his head that caused his head to swell almost twice its size. He had major internal injuries, so much so that the railroad workers at the scene of the accident was af were afraid that my grandfather would die in his own blood if they laid him down, so they sat him up on a bench. And in my grandfather's autobiography called Paths of a Pioneer. He tells this story, and here's what he says. He says, while I was sitting on the bench in the rain waiting for the ambulance, I prayed and told the Lord I was ready to go, but that I had preached the gospel for him for over 30 years, and that I would like to live and raise my family if he would let me. Just then, a bright and glorious light came, the same in appearance that I had seen in my conversion, only much larger, larger. A great warmth of consolation came over me, and I had the assurance that my life would be spared. I got him to the hospital. My grandmother, her name's Margaret, my dad who was 18 was with her. They go to the hospital, they go into his room, it's the first time they've seen him. He's literally bandaged from head to toe. My grandmother walks over to him. Now my 
Dad tells that when he was 18, at this time, he was really struggling about whether God existed or not. He was really struggling about whether or not the God of his parents was going to be his God. He was really struggling about whether that was really all just some religious fabrication or was it real. They go into that hospital room. My grandmother walks over to my grandfather and bends down and says, Paul, how are you feeling? Now, what a dumb question. I mean, you know, I love my, love my grandmother. That, I mean, I, but come on, Grandma, really? Paul, how are you feeling? These were the words of my grandfather. Margaret, I have great pain in my body, but I feel good in my soul. My grandfather was in the, house, was in the hospital 48 days. For the next 25 years, he preached the Word of God. He estimates some 800 sermons he preached in that 25 years. Because in his most painful time, sitting at a railroad after an accident, literally dying, literally possibly drowning in his own blood, he had a God and a Savior he could turn to that was real and alive. And in that moment, he could know the goodness and the comfort and the strength of this God that transcends any kind of temporary pain. I'm not saying you'll get a shaft of light that comes out of heaven when you call upon God. But I guarantee you there will be something that happens in your soul. Something that will happen in here that you know is so different from anything else you've sought after. Because what you're feeling, what you're sensing is your maker. Who intimately, tediously, painstakingly made every one of us. It's Him speaking to you to say, I'm here. I'm here. You can trust me. I may be doing it differently than what you thought and it may be working out differently than what you had anticipated, but you can trust me. It will bring you to a place of hope and healing and restoration. I'll put my hope in God. I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. I invite you to bow your head and close your eyes. I want to ask two questions. The first question is this. Maybe you're in here. You need to make the decision that the God of the universe, the God of the Bible, the God who lives as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you need to make the decision that He's going to be your God here today. You need to make the decision that Jesus Christ is going to be your leader, Lord, and Savior of your life, the forgiver of your sins give you an opportunity to make that decision here this morning the second question I'm going to ask is maybe you're in here and you would say Pastor Mark I know the Lord but I'm walking like the psalmist right now it's empty I'm dry I'm frustrated I got all kind of pressure I feel like I'm being pursued by so many things I need prayer here today I need a refocus Pastor I, I need 
I need to make that internal decision again. I just need to reconfirm. I'm going to put my hope in God. Pastor, I need help. I've got to re- refocus my, my words. I've got, to, I've got to begin to declare and understand who He is in me and who I am in Him. But Pastor, I need prayer. If you're in here and you say, Pastor, I need to make the decision for God to be my Lord and Savior. Or, and, that I need prayer because I am walking through a very difficult place. With our head bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to ask you to put your hand straight in the air real quick. All over this building. Nothing to be ashamed of or embarrassed about. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. God bless your heart. God bless your heart. If you raise your hand in any way, shape, or form, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of changing a little bit of direction here from what I told the, the team ahead of time, but I just feel led to do it this way. And I know this can be awkward and, and, and kind of embarrassing, and I, and I don't want that, and I hope you'll fight through that. But we're a group of people here that love each other and love people and We're all walking through this together. We all know where life can be broken. And we've all woken through the brokenness of life. But if you raised your hand just quickly where you are. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. But I am going to ask you to just stand very quickly. So we can just pray with you. Can you take that next step real quick. Wherever you are. You raise your hand just right now. Just stand right up. Just stand right up. Nothing to be ashamed of. Nothing to be embarrassed about. Just right where you are right now. God bless your hearts. If you're a follower of Christ in this room and you believe in what we've just talked about out of God's Word, I want you to look around very quick and see people that might be standing and just move to them, put a hand on their shoulder or whatever, just saying, we're here with you, we're going to pray with you, we're going to believe with you. Father, in Jesus' name, We may not know the situation that these wonderful people are standing for. We don't have to. We just know that you do. And so we come together uniting our hope in you. Uniting our declaration of who you are and who we are in you. Uniting that you are our Savior and you are our God. And we pray and believe for these right now in Jesus' name. Whatever they're walking through, whatever they're facing, I'm praying now in agreement with those around me that, Lord, your Holy Spirit is going to minister to them. They're going to know they don't walk alone. They're going to know you are showing them the way. They're going to know that you are there with them, that you are their hope, and you will make a way, God, where there seems to be no way. Build up hope. Build up faith within us now, God. Build up strength like we've never had before. Father, help us with our words. Help us with our complaining. Help us with our griping. Help us with our grumbling. Fill our hearts and our mouths with praise. Fill our hearts and our mouths with your promises. Fill our hearts with our mouths with who you are and who we are in you, God. I pray that the atmosphere of our homes and the atmosphere of our businesses and the atmosphere of our minds and the atmosphere of our circumstances are going to change in Jesus' name because of you, O God. Holy are you, Lord. Thank you, you never leave and you never forsake. Let it change here today. And now every one of you that perhaps, whether you stood or didn't, but you you want to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ today. You want to make a decision that He's going to be your Savior and your God. I'm going to simply ask you to repeat this prayer. Everybody repeating this, but especially those making a decision for Christ. It's not the words that you're saying. It's the sincerity of your heart. 
But everybody praying this prayer with me, please. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, that died for my sins and resurrected from the dead that I might have eternal life. I need your forgiveness. I'm a sinner. Save me. Forgive me of my sins. I repent. Be the Lord of my life. Lead me. Guide me. Direct me. I give you my life today. I believe you've forgiven my sins. I believe you've given me eternal life. I belong to you. You belong to me forever. Thank you, Father. Father, let it be so in Jesus' name. We're believing a brand new day for all of us. For your praise, your glory, and your honor. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we give God praise in his house here this morning? Give me praise, people of God.